Hello and welcome to Letters and Lines, a comics podcast looking at comics from the perspective of being a fan, a creator and a critic. Before we dive into what we're actually going to be talking about in this episode, it's probably worth introducing who we are so you know whose voices you're listening to. I'm Hass, and I make Strip Panel Naked on YouTube. I edit the Eisner winning magazine, Panel by Panel, and I edit and letter comic books. And I'm Aditya, and I letter comics like Hellblazer, The Department of Truth, and Wind. So this week we've got one topic uh, that we thought was so big we dedicated an entire episode to it, because what we've done in past episodes is like we've each brought a topic. Uh, but we were talking about this topic before, and we thought, you know, we've probably got quite a lot to say about it. Um, so the topic is about the amount of panels on a page and storytelling conventions that we have kind of adopted as a as a kind of U.S. Western comics uh, market and reasons behind them, and if we think those reasons kind of still exist or still work, or if we think there are potentially different ways to um, make comics that could be turned into storytelling conventions. Mm-hmm. So that's a, that. It's a wide. <laughs> Yeah, quite a succinct topic, I would say. <laughs> it's quite a yeah. I, I before we started recording this, I so I wrote the little thing, my little my little spiel, and I said to you, if you remember, it was only about two seconds ago. I said to you, I'll make this sound a lot cleaner when I say it, <laughs> and uh, somehow made it worse. So there you go. Um, but that's the, that's the reason why we're going to do a whole episode on this topic because it is a bit of a sprawling, a bit. Yeah, of sprawling. I, think, I think there's a, quite a lot of angles to this that we can tackle over a single episode. Well, so I've been reading uh, Pluto by Urasawa, and uh, one thing that I found in that, and also I I was reading Detective Conan, or Case Closed, as it's called uh, in in England, at least, Um, uh, and a couple of other things, and I was sort of getting really fascinated by the, specifically the way way that Pluto, uh, Detective Conan, and a bunch of other stuff that I flicked through to try and get a sense of if this was more of a broader genre genre thing or a manga thing. but it was about the way they handled dialogue. And as a letterer, I feel like you and I uh, have a good a good handle on how dialogue is, is, is handled in typical American comics. Right. Um, yeah. Because it's 99% of what our day is, is, <clears throat> lay, is laying out dialogue. Um, and what I would say, and you please correct me if you think I'm way off, but f- for American sort of direct market monthly comics, we have there's tended to be a sense of kind of, having each page hit around sort of five panels, six panels, something like that. Yeah. Uh, as a kind of general rule. Um, yeah, a rule of thumb sort of. Yeah. And within that, there is typically, especially in dialogue heavy sequences, what we tend to find very, very much is 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 back and forth dialogue within the same panel. Yeah. So, you know, like the, I guess what people would call like the Bendis thing of, of having, mm. uh, you know, three or four dialogue, they call it. Yeah, yeah, and you're kind of going back and forth. Where what I've experienced, especially specifically, I'm going to mostly talk about Pluto here. But what you find in that is that actually, um, almost never does a panel have more than two balloons, and in those balloons, the dialogue is never particularly heavy. And yeah. the way they they pace dialogue is is usually about five to seven panels, so it's not a million miles off. Um, but the, the scenes will maybe last about four or five pages, something like that. Although, again, that's not a million miles away from what Western comics do. Mm-hmm. Um, but what happens is the dialogue is, is much, uh, is much uh, less dense and is, is broken up constantly by, by kind of faces. So you might have a close-up on one character saying, with one balloon, and then it'll, you know, you'll have another panel of another character having their response, and then back to the other character with their response, that kind of thing. So it's a lot. It kind of breaks up the visual imagery into smaller, often smaller panels, um, uh, but with less kind of back and forth dialogue in those panels. Yeah. And the thing that I have found particularly interesting about that is how 
uh, fluid that the, the conversation suddenly becomes when you're not doing back and forth in the same panel, because rarely do you see that, in, especially in Pluto. So yeah. you're, you're kind of getting uh, visuals constantly. So you're kind of like, it always feels like there is progression being made visually, because I, I, I suppose in comics, to me, that, that's kind of like the way that you see progress of time is through images, right? I, I, I think so. And also, um, if you have, let's say, six balloons in a single panel, Mm-hmm. You and if that's like a ping pong conversation between two people, you have one expression from both people that sort of applies to the entire conversation, right? Mm-hmm. But if you basically limit yourself to like two balloons every panel, mm-hmm. then the body language of the person is also moving, and you're getting you're getting how the like uh, you're getting how the emotion actually affects the character rather than just the dialogue about that. Right. Right. And I think that feels more like progress because um, even if like, let's let's say those six balloons have like shifting emotions, you can Mm -hmm. only really depict one emotion in that panel. And then all of that sort of feels like it's getting compressed to one moment in time, even if Mm -hmm. it's really not really. While if you have like a single expression and two lines, you kind of feel like, okay, the conversation is actually moving forward. Right, right. Yeah. Well, I think that's that's so that's what I I've, I think I, I feel like I've touched upon this maybe sometime in like a strip pile naked episode before, but for me it's like the idea of um, if the, you know the time in a in a panel is contained in two separate ways. You've got like the visual itself, so mm-hmm. the actual whatever action kind of the characters in the in the visual are actually uh, are actually doing, and then you've got the 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 text in the balloon, and one of those is is ultimately always going to sort of out well. It doesn't have to, but one of those is likely to outpace the other, right. and it's typically going to be the text outpaces the the visual. So, if you've got the the, the visual of like a guy shouting, um, and the first balloon is like, you know, a burst balloon of him saying, "I'm going to come get you," but then he's also there's also a response from someone else who says, "You know, not if I'm I'm faster than you." And then the same guy that was just shouting has another regular balloon that says, "You know, not not I've got a plan up my sleeve." The, the visual itself can only capture one moment, one instance yeah. of those balloons, and right. so by having that second balloon, you've you've already kind of outdated the image. Um, Correct. I, I you, think you can, uh, this is this is something that a lot of my writers think about, which is that they will try and match the emotion to the last balloon rather than the first balloon. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, this is something that I, I I've heard a couple of writers talk about, and I think that's exactly because of that. Like I think it's they sort of look at it as like okay, it's. The, the image constantly needs to be at the edge. Like it, it needs to be the last sort of, it needs to match the last thing that's said in the panel. Right. Right. Uh, but see, that's still a workaround, right? <laughs> right. Yeah. 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 That is, I, I do think that's a good, because studies have shown that the way people typically uh, tend to read comics is that they, you, what you sort of glance the panel uh, for reference, for like a kind of a frame of reference, but you you typically will read the the dialogue, the you'll read the text in an image uh, in the panel, and then you'll read the image afterwards. Yeah. So it does make sense that the image matches the kind of the final beat in the in the dialogue. Right. But it does. You're right. You're kind of trying to fix a workaround. Yeah. Um, the fact that one thing is moving at a completely different sort of temporal speed than 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 one than than the visual is, which right. is a it's a strange to me. It's it's one of those things where you, I kind of I understand it because you know you're trying to put out a 22 page pamphlet uh, that has enough kind of content to make it worth 3.99 or whatever it is. Yeah. Um, and the easiest way to do that is dialogue because dialogue is theoretically cheaper. 
to produce. Right. <laughs> and, and it takes more time to read, yeah. It takes more time to read, of course. Um, and what's so one of the things that we were talking about was so this was a question I asked on Twitter, which basically got me um, an answer which would be impossible to quantify and define in any usable situation. Hmm. But the question that I asked was for artists, you know, imagine you have the same the same sequence. So it's a, a conversation, two people, you know, at a, a, a coffee a coffee shop, they're just having a conversation over a cup of coffee. If you got a version of that which had the exact same dialogue but spread out over eight panels. And you've got yeah. a version of that that had the exact same dialogue but spread out over four panels. The typical conventions would suggest that you don't do that to your artist to give them eight panels because you're mm. really asking them to do like a lot of work and a lot of labor. But if you have eight smaller panels, yeah, is that is that really more labor than having four much larger panels? Right. And the, and mix, think, the responses were a mix. You know, it, yeah, very much dependent on style. Absolutely, I think I think I think so. Like I think. Um, there's going to be some people who basically draw this as like one establishing shot of a cafe and then it's just mm-hmm. talking heads. Yeah. Or on the other hand, somebody else is going to try like different angles. Like they're going to go outside the cafe. They're going to look at it from the waiter's point of view. You know, all yeah. of those things. In which case, like eight panels might end up being like incredibly busy. <laughs> on the other hand, you could have like somebody basically going like, you know, all I need is a person in this. Yeah, yeah, and all I need to focus is on the body language, mm-hmm. and then that's it. Like everything else is like you can cover the rest with the dialogue, right? Right, and that's that's entirely. I think, I think that's um, Kieran Gillen constantly talks about like page budget. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and it's always like this is the. I mean, obviously, it's an imperfect method, but like it's this is always the calculation that he's trying to make. Mm-hmm. It's about like okay, how much time is this going to take my artist to draw? Mm-hmm. and therefore how much I can push them here or in that direction. Like, mm-hmm. even Jamie himself, I think, uh, responded to the, uh, like, uh, okay, we, this is a conversation we're probably going to get to a little later, but on the background conversation, like, he was talking about how, like, it's always it always depends on what you need the page to do. Right. Yeah. Right. And I think uh, that also comes up here because whether it's going to take them longer to draw or less time to draw is going to depending uh, it's going to depend on what you want the page to do mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but but i would still say that if you plan cleverly you can do a nine panel page that takes longer to read that still takes your artist less time to draw yeah uh, there is a, very much a part of that is which i think is maybe something we've talked about on this podcast before as well is is having the writer also think visually in terms yeah. of like what what is the sequence because it's such an interesting um it's such an interesting medium to write for because it, it it's it's so unlike having anything else because the writer kind of needs to be fully versed in in visuals in in you know yeah. not necessarily not to draw but you need, I think you need to to have a visual mindset in when you're when you're thinking of your scenes because you can get away and this is a conversation we'll bring in the background conversation I think in a, in, a, in a bit but it's all, it's all a question of that page budget doesn't necessarily come down to amount of panels as opposed to um, all the different specifics that will go into a panel because 12, 15 panels in one page where what in each of those panels is like, you know, an eye and maybe it's just a a sequence of an eye blinking Hmm. uh, and you can reuse elements and stuff like that. It's not necessarily going to break the bank. Whereas you could give someone a splash page that could take them two days to draw. Yeah. Like a double Um, page spread. That's like a single image. It's mm-hmm. probably like, but it's like a city vista or something like that. With <laughs> yeah. A lot of like three, five point perspective or something. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's obviously going to take somebody longer to draw. Yeah. So it's it's like, the, I think one of the, one of the big things that I 
uh, would, and this is a, a thing that I've, I've kind of uh, loved for a while, especially when you start looking at um, writer artists. Uh, and this is one thing that I always ask a writer artist in, in Pan Fight Panel as well, hmm. is you, I think you can always see a writer artist in their work when, because you can look at a page and you're like, that page has got like eight panels on it. <laughs> and then you turn the page and you're like, that page has got 11 panels on it. <laughs> and you know, you know that no one in a monthly format has like written that for them. Um, right. I was thinking of like like Isolo with like Carl Kershaw. Yeah. Uh, he uh, when we did that interview in Panel Panel, he talked about like he just adds stuff if he think it need, if he needs it for the storytelling. Yeah. Um, and talking to like uh, Daniel Warren Johnson and him kind of saying like you know I might just have a page that has like twelve panels on it because I just need to I just need the back and forth for the dialogue and the conversation stuff like that. But yeah, no one else would ever write that for yeah, you in a monthly model. I think I think this is a conversation that we've had quite a bit where there are certain things that a writer artist will do, which cannot simply be written right like, yeah, yeah they yeah. have to involve like if a comic is doing doing it that has a writer and an artist separate from each other you mm. i can guarantee you that either the artist put that in by themselves or <laughs> or that the writer and the artist got on the phone and the writer explained what they needed or right. you've got a writer who has a really strong visual um understanding like mm-hmm. i i work with a few writers who will absolutely do thumbnails that they show the artist. Not because they want the artist to do a particular thing, but they're trying to show the artist what they're trying to accomplish with this page. Right. And then the artist can sort of add add and jazz it up. And um, <laughs> like, uh, you, can, you can also also tell, like, there's a lot of younger artists who will basically try and draw everything on the page. Mm-hmm. But as you probably gain a little more experience you realize that storytelling wise that's not the best thing to do right, right right you have points of focus you have um you know you have lines of vision you have like a, a page that is overdrawn will absolutely look cluttered <laughs> because there is not enough thought about why something was there right, right. like i have mm-hmm. i i've i've started a few books uh, not recently but like there were a couple of books that I started and like in two pages, I stopped reading them because I'm like, I don't think this right, either this writer and artist did not have a great communication or mm. this artist has not yet figured out what they're trying to do with the page. Right, right. Be- because it was like, it was a nine panel grid page. I don't think the whole book was nine panel grids, but it was a nine panel grid page. And I was just like, you, you have no idea how to make me look at this page. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. the fact that you've drawn it all a lot doesn't really matter to me. Because none of it is really interesting in the storytelling. It's not, it's not doing anything for the story itself, right? Yeah, that, that's that, that's like so. We had Ganzirani in Panama Panel once, and he talked about. Uh, I think one of the questions I asked him was about like how his style changed or something. Right. Um, uh, but the the answer was was really interesting, which was him kind of over time drew, clawing back the amount of lines that go into his work <laughs> because he realized that after a certain point. The line, all the line was doing was making him feel better about the drawing. Right. And I, yep. And I really like that. It's like you know he was just kind of overcompensating in a sense for for him not feeling too comfortable about how about the form, you know, whatever it was, the form or the light didn't work. So he would just keep adding lines until it got to a place, but it wasn't doing anything for the story. It wasn't adding yeah, anything to yeah. the story. And I think that's a good point of coming back down to how do you break the standard conventions no absolutely I, and I, I'm, I'm absolutely one of those people who believes that a bad drawing that fits in with the story is better than a good drawing that doesn't <laughs> right yeah 
uh-huh, I, and I don't sure. think I started out there. I think I kind of, I had this point of view that, okay, you know what, like the best artists will basically draw more, but, <laughs> but more and more, like, uh, I think, and I've also like, you know, I've worked very intimately with certain artists. Like there are certain artists who become friends and we constantly have a conversation about what goes into a page and stuff like that. And mm-hmm. like, I'll give you an example, like Anand Radhakrishnan. So a graffiti's wall was his first big comic. I think before right. that he had done maybe like 10 pages, uh, 10, 15 pages. And right. then Blue and Green is his second graphic novel. And one of the biggest things he feels that he has learned is that you don't need to draw everything. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. you constantly have to design the page to figure out what you actually need to draw. Right. And that will always... And the thing is, he's much faster uh, now because like he's smarter about what he's going to draw and what he's not going to draw, which is something, which is something that you'll see a lot of artists talk about. Yeah. Because like they'll, they look at like, you don't necessarily get faster. You get better at figuring out what you need to draw. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, now in some cases, I think again, like this is, this is an example that I've probably brought up, brought on, brought up before. Well, Steve Dillon towards the end of his career realized mm-hmm. that for him, body language and expressions were far more important. Right. And that's what he kind of focused on. So you'll see that he his lines got cleaner and mm-hmm. his, um, to a degree, like the people he drew got a little similar to each other because mm-hmm. he could focus, He, he his for, for him, what was important was the expressions and how the story was being told. Now, my priority for Steve Dillon's art was slightly different. I loved the fact right. that he would, uh, he had that slight rendering. I loved the fact that he would draw like diverse body shapes and stuff like that. And for mm-hmm. me, that got reduced a bit towards the end but it was still an artist that was trying to figure out his priorities and figure out what he wanted to do with his art Mm -hmm. right so i think i mean this is a little circuitous circuitous but what you are asking like what would take you more time would absolutely depend on what a particular artist was focusing on like if yeah. if you baby look at like I don't know Andrew Lima Araujo like how you mm-hmm. pronounce that like I'm I'm guessing like for him like a nine panel page might be much longer to draw because he'll probably draw <laughs> backgrounds in every panel yeah because for sure. he's his his priority is like much more architectural and much more atmospheric mm-hmm. but somebody else uh, who like whose focus is like body language mm-hmm. might actually find the nine panels much easier to draw. Yeah, well, this is this. I think that's that's what it comes down to, which yeah. is probably where we might bring in the the Sarah Horrocks conversation. So, yeah, um, Sarah uh, is like a really uh, very 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 smart comics critic and also comics creator. Yeah, um, and she did. Color. Yeah, she's very very good. And she she so she did a question. She did a tweet about um, uh, backgrounds in comics, and this was a this is a very specific point in ter- as as an investment of labor. Yeah. Uh, backgrounds are, are, are probably the worst investment in labor as it, as it comes to comics as a form. Yeah. Um, what you get back as a as a reader from the experience does not really match the amount of effort <laughs> required to draw backgrounds. Yeah. Um, and th- so this is what it comes into about story. And this is, I think, so I'll, I don't know if I've mentioned, this is like one of my favorite comic moments of all time was uh, listening to Brian Stelfreeze talk about, um, I may have brought, uh, maybe maybe we talked, we talked so much we nonsense on this podcast that we're probably just looping back around again. But um, Stelfreeze said, um, you know, he broke down like a bunch of his rules for what he thinks his good comics are. And one of them was, was kind of the point you were making as well, which is, um, is if it's drawn well as an illustration is not relevant to if it's drawn well as a comic. Um, 
And so the the illustrative, you know, is this a good illustration matters very little to does this progress the story? Or does this does this give me any story information? Does it does it make me emote the characters? Does it make me feel stronger a connection to the world or the work that's portrayed in this panel and then the next panel and the next panel? And that's that's kind of that point about conventions is um, what are we what everything should be drilled back down to that idea of does this does what we're doing in this page or in this sequence or in this image does it progress the story um, yeah. and, and going back to the background stuff that's kind of what sarah was talking about in terms of a, a labor input is what value does the background have uh beyond you know the initial where are we kind of like like you, you need to kind of you don't want to be lost in this comic but like once you know where you are yeah and you uh maybe you're having a dialogue sequence and you're having back and forths between a bunch of talking heads or whatever how much value has a background got at that point and it's one of those things that's brought through from film because i think in film they they i think, I think sarah maybe mentioned that it has a value in film but i don't think it does have, have as much value in film as people think it does because so much of what you're doing in film hmm. uh with cinematography is 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 compressing images so that you're 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 causing a very tight focus yeah. and we the film has an interest in locations depending on the film but it has an interest in locations in much the same way as something like watchmen has an interest in locations yeah in which yeah. that it, it wants to set the scene very specifically for each character you know that there's there's stuff in the backgrounds that will be relevant to the world building and the character building but actually a lot of the time once you get into the meat of a scene the location is probably less important in that it, a lot of the time it's going to be uh, the bocker is going to knock it out entirely almost so that you, the background isn't relevant beyond it having just some color and some form. Um, and you can do that in comics just as easily without having to draw a full rendered background. No, absolutely. And I think, I think there's a, there's a, like, there's a little more basic question to be asked um, mm. with the word like world building. Now, because comics tend to be fantasy or superhero or science fiction or something like that, right we think of world building as an aspect of a comic. But you take mm -hmm. something like Box Office Poison, which happens in like the real world. You don't actually need any, need any world building. Right. It's essentially yeah. like a sitcom thing where mm -hmm. like an episode of Friends, you show one outside shot of an apartment building <laughs> and then right. you go inside and forget about the location. Mm -hmm. Right. And the location comes, in, comes back into the picture only when people are moving or you know, there are actions being taken that involve distance and stuff like that. That's where mm -hmm. you might need the background again to kind of show the character's relationship to the background yeah. uh, and to each other. But otherwise, if, you're, if your comic is mainly going to be conversations or something like that, well, like you don't really need backgrounds most of the time. And this is something that you will notice in manga quite a bit that um, a lot of the longer running stuff, which is more character-based, will mm -hmm. not really have backgrounds as a priority. And there's kind of a reason that in manga, uh, assistants do your backgrounds. <laughs> right. Because they don't matter quite as much. Um, like that decision-making, like, you know, uh, what a mangaka realizes is that once I make a decision on what the background needs to be, I don't actually need to sit and draw it. Yeah. Because that's just, okay, That the decision was the important part and not the actual drawing. Right. Mm -hmm. Which is why, like, I think um, a lot of artists these days talk about reference and 3D, um, you know, uh, 3D uh, software being used uh, to create backgrounds and stuff. Mm -hmm. Because the fact, the fact is, when it comes to a background, most of the time, it's the decision that's important rather than the detail. Right. Right. But mm -hmm. then there's stuff like, I don't know, Watchmen or Berlin. Berlin is a great example of a 500 page epic 
that took ages to draw because the background was so important. Right. Like constantly locating it in Berlin, um, you know, around the Second World War was mm-hmm. incredibly important for that comic. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, you take something like From Hell. Uh, I was just having a conversation with somebody and From Hell actually doesn't have as many backgrounds as you think it does. Right. It but, th- but this is the, that's the same, this is the same point that you were, you were talking about with manga as well, though, in that actually what you find is once you've established a location, yeah. unless you tell someone you've moved, yeah. the assumption is we're still in that place. Exactly. And that's a, From Hell does a very similar thing to that. Yeah, precisely. Like half of the time, the background is just like a scribble. Mm-hmm. And, and you don't really need anything more than that. And I think, um, I think what Sarah was probably pointing towards was, uh, I mean, I think maybe Sarah has an opinion where she genuinely thinks that, okay, we should just kind of stop thinking about background that much. But also <laughs> I think, um, I think Western comics is quite obsessed with virtuosic drawing uh, <laughs> yeah, as an art yeah. form. I don't think yeah. we think about character expressions and those things. I think we think about, mm-hmm. we think about environments and we think about rendering because um, of the genre, like the genres that most comics that we've read come in. But the thing is, as comics move forward, we need to think beyond that. And we need to think about the fact that, um, like, this is my constant bugbear about, I don't think comics should be limited to naturalistic artwork. Like, you don't need to depict a background. You're suggesting a background. And then Mm -hmm. you can do, like, weird shit with it. Because you're suggesting it, you can use it to build mood. Uh, but the thing is, if you're constantly re- uh, obsessed with depicting a background, then mm. you're kind of limited by the background itself. Like hearing that, I think there's a bunch of that that is wrapped up in the same point. Th- this sort of standard convention of five panels, especially on the US comic book page, which is uh, dramatically dramatically bigger than the, than the manga page, hmm. um, is that what, what ends up happening is if you're only going to write four or five panels, um, you have quite wide open spaces. So in, in those quite wide open spaces, that's a big, it feels like, I mean, as a non-artist, uh, it feels like a big ask to get someone to figure out a way to to, to do that, um, to draw each of those panels in a way where you, you know, you might not be, you don't want to need, you don't need to use backgrounds. So you're yeah. leaving a lot of empty space or a lot of, you know, there's a lot of hatch, like cross hatching or, or tones or something, but you're, there is potentially going to be quite a lot of space left in the panel right. that isn't used because you're you're leaving four or five very big images, and so that's for me where it's like when you think about that and you and you think, well, if I'm going to use a you know if it's a, specifically a dialogue scene, we've got a lot of a lot of balloons and stuff. Is it actually going to actually take up that much more if I say to my artist? Don't draw backgrounds. Just just draw these people, like you know, just draw these back and forth, or a little bit of character acting or movement or whatever. Close up on some some jittery hands or something instead, and we'll break this sequence down. We'll break this back and forth for dialogue down, um, because it, it you're it feels like you're almost putting more weight on an artist because you're gonna if you're gonna if you've got a couple of characters in the scene, you you're gonna be almost sort of the hand is almost forced to draw right. the background at that point, right? Because you, you, otherwise you're really saying you need to be absolutely sort of on it in terms of composition skills to get away with just drawing these two people in a kind of, a, uh, you know, an atmospheric kind of inky backdrop or something like that. Funnily enough, I think uh, the shift to digital lettering might have contributed to this because mm-hmm. uh, when it came to traditional lettering, the lettering would have happened before this step. Mm. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. the artist could have actually been able to see that okay, this much is this much stuff is just going to be covered up by the lettering. <laughs> so I just 
have enough space to just draw the character or something mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right so that's definitely something that uh like what gets considered while composing a page has slightly changed yeah and more and more you see that the lettering isn't necessarily considered while composing the page and yeah. so you maybe get like um this kind of stuff but also i think like i think it's it's something that in western comics we the measure of a good artist in western comics doesn't really seem to be character work right mm-hmm. right like the people that we think of as great artists in western comics are people who do interesting things with composition or with action but, or but with I, I, virtuosic drawing skills like um you know somebody who draws like hyper detailed stuff <laughs> right 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 that's what we think of as a great artist but i think but that but it's that's like chicken and egg for me because yeah i think i think i agree if if so much of what your what of the writing style for for comics is five panels a page back and forth ping pong dialogue and you know in in each panel yeah the the character work has no almost has no relevance because you can't you can't do character work if you've got multiple back you know if you've got a back and forth kind of going on yeah in a, in one panel the character work is has absolutely no meaning beyond you, you think you think it also has something to do with the fact that um a single series is probably not going to be drawn by a single artist in corporate comics i would say less so because you've got at least you know you've got kind of a story arc with an artist right but i think but that that is a good point in, especially in corporate stuff where you're writing way before you know who's going to draw the book yeah so, so you might not think about like okay you you don't necessarily know if the artist is going to is going to nail all the acting so you're going to try and make other stuff more interesting as a writer right right you know? and, or and, like and, lean more on the dialogue but and and we we definitely discussed this before about mm. where where it comes in with kind of like thinking visually as a as a writer but um i think there is a, a sort of a sense of the conventions that we have and not necessarily for me not necessarily the conventions to have hmm. um like a lot of the stuff that i see i think we talked about this like only a couple of episodes ago when i was talking about like those what do we what do we not like when we first in a first issue of a comic oh, yeah um hmm. and one of my things that i said in that issue that episode was issues that open up with just tons and tons of dialogue but only like four or five panels or whatever right and it's at really at that point uh for me for me at that point like the, the a panel really contributes little more than just he said and they said she said hmm. that you know it, it contributes a little less than just putting a tail at a character so i know who has said what no um, that's interesting for, because um uh because i was thinking about this like uh when we were talking about the background stuff on like twitter with whoever or, or when i was reading that i was mm-hmm. thinking about how like in a prose novel mm-hmm. nobody would really have a problem with you not describing a room after you've described it once <laughs> right, right right like you right. you set up the room and then the conversation begins mm-hmm. after which you only focus on the actions like mm-hmm. you only focus on okay then they picked up a glass or like mm-hmm. then they went into the kitchen or whatever so you mm-hmm. focus on the changes that happen everything else is just dialogue right well the thing is impro- i think it's that's an interesting like i'm going to skirt around what that a little bit but just and i'll we'll, i'll come back to it but the skirt around it a little bit is the the difference between the way you would handle a scene in prose is 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 fascinating because you would never have the the sort of volume of dialogue in one in one go uh in prose you would rarely have the kind of um volume of back and forth that we tend to find in comics where... actually I, w- i would disagree with that because like 
there's tons of prose which just has like ping pong dialogue with just he said she said for like pages and pages okay well in my in my limited experience i like i've not found i don't think i've found that way it's not interrupted by uh by actions or by atmosphere hmm. As much as that, I, I think comic, it heavily depends on what kind of book it is, right? Like, um, I mean, if you look at an H.P. Lovecraft short story, there's literally no dialogue in it, right? While on the other hand, like a Stephen King thing will have a lot of dialogue in it. I find that much less. There's much less emphasis on the dialogue when the writer has got more control over everything else. Right. When they've got more control over in the monologue, uh, but the in the monologue, you know, is very very different than in the monologue in, in comics. But when you've yeah. got much more control over those elements you rely less specifically on the thing that you know will come out in the final point, which is the, which is the dialogue. And that's the thing with writing comics is the only thing that you ultimately have full control over uh, when you're writing it, that mm. you know will appear as you have written it on the, on the, in the script is, is the dialogue. Right. And so I think you, what you tend to get is a lot of, a lot of the work and a lot of the character work uh, is being, and a lot of the, the progression is being put into the dialogue because that is the specific thing mm. months in advance of someone drawing it. That's the thing that you can have full control over. And right. That's you but but I'm going to pick you up on something here. Uh, you know, yep. you're, you're talking about how the progression is in the dialogue. Um, yep. Let's go back to like Brian Michael Bendis. Like let's see the, the person <clears throat> who started sort of the ping pong thing. Okay. <laughs> right. Right. His inspiration was Robert Altman. Right. Mm-hmm. Like that's, that's where he basically got that like constant talking, like talking over each other and all of that mm-hmm. stuff. from. Now, the biggest question is, does that actually give you progression? Like, does the dialogue give you progression? Or is it still the visuals are, that are giving you progression and the dialogue is giving you a specific kind of depth? Right, well, yeah, I guess it, it, that depends. To come back to the prose point, it, it entirely depends on the kind of story being told. But I, I've, I've read comics where I think ult- there's a lot of Ultimate Spider-Man that is moved via the dialogue right um but the, but i mean on, but on the other hand like of... something like alias um the dialogue was really great like it was fun to read but mm-hmm. it was mostly adding character rather than progression mm-hmm. right well that's but, but i mean ultimately the visuals are progression anyway yeah <laughs> that's of course, the, of course. The, the way yeah the way the medium works is that ultimately the visuals are going to be progression yeah. but I, that entirely depends on the on the kind of story i think and the and the Probably the genre conventions as well is going to in, impact that, but for, I think the that that sort of point about like the the dialogue being the the controllable element before anything else is is written. I think that's interesting. That, yeah, I think that's a good point. I think that, well, I think that's something that like it feels like I I have seen that a lot in comics that I've read. Yeah, is that it feels like that's the sort of thing I can see where that's the thing you know will turn out like that, and that's therefore that's the way you can progress things via that because you know it will be that. Hmm. Um, but I think, it, but again, it comes back. It comes back down to that point of like, what is the value of each of those moments? And if the value that you have in those panels is more the dialogue, hmm. then I, 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 which I don't think is necessarily a bad thing. But it, it, but I think it does mean that you can think there are there are deeper ways to use that visual to coincide with that. And I think sometimes when you uh, it might be that when you give a writer, a fi- an artist, a five-panel page where most of the work is being done in the kind of back and forth of dialogue, hmm. there is a very limited amount. You know, so on, on two on two aspects, there is a limited amount of pages you've got in a twenty-two page monthly comic, so you want to put as much into a page as possible. However, when what you're what you're delivering to someone is uh, a five-panel page that has 
two two or three back and forths in each panel, there is also a very limited thing that they can kind of do hmm. while following the kind while following the general convention of just a bunch of talking heads, right? Do you know, there is there is a limit to those things, and so yeah. the convention no, I think, I think convention, the kind of standard stock. Yeah, and I think convention is a big big word here because um, I think what again I'm, I, I I obviously can't read Sarah's mind, but what I find uh, interesting about the idea of using fewer backgrounds that would be interesting would be that. Western comics has very few comics that are like 500 to a thousand pages long. Right. <laughs> right yeah. Um, yeah. That are not, that are like graphic novels by which I mean, mm-hmm. um, like you've got something like box office poison. You've got something like blankets. Um, and those are very character human focused books, mm-hmm. which are done by like one person. And I think that, if we sort of moved our focus like in mainstream comics, like mainstream comics don't really have that kind of stuff. Uh, right. Technically like blankets is not really a mainstream comic as we would see it, like or as you and I would see it <laughs> right, uh, in right. the industry. Right. Um, so I think one of the things that um, the idea of like, okay, if you're a commercial artist at working in comics, you could think about not using quite as many backgrounds and stuff. Mm-hmm. Right. The advantage of that would be that you might end up having more of those 500 plus page epics, mm-hmm. right? Um, mm-hmm. Like, I think uh, this is a calculation that people constantly have to do. Like, I, I think Jamie McAlvey himself kind of talks about how, like, he he is constantly has to figure out, like, he knows where his skills lie and he right. knows how much time it takes him to draw something a certain way. And he yep. constantly has to do that equation of <laughs> what what would use my time better. Right. And I think that's something that um, if you sort of let yourself uh, do fewer backgrounds and just let yourself sort of think about, okay, what kind of story would work with this? Um, and also, like, the fact is, one of the big things that we, um, that mainstream comics has that a black and white comic will not have is color, Right. Mm-hmm. You have a whole other person working on color. Mm-hmm. And if you basically kind of constantly keep them in the loop about the mood of the thing and what each page is trying to do, you have something that's kind of easier for the entire team mm-hmm. and that can get you a lot of pages out of the same amount of time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And yeah. it could get you like, we could do more of these epic things. Like, for <laughs> example, like one of the reasons that Charlie Adlard is so fast as an artist is that he knows exactly what his strength is and he sticks to that and he focuses on that for the entire mm-hmm. issue. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's why he it's, can do like a page in like four hours or whatever. Well, it's, it's, a, it's a bit like thinking, I think there's, there's sort of thinking about how you, a, how you want to uh, pace it. And I, I'm coming from a very specific, like um, I would like it if things were paced in a very specific way for the case of this conversation, for, for the case of this argument, talking about yeah. really kind of like breaking things down to their to their real sort of individual beats in terms of like, what is the, the individual emotional beat in this one balloon? Hmm. And let's match a visual to it. And then when we go to the next, the next line of, you know, the next sort of chunk of dialogue, let's give another visual that kind of emotionally sort of attaches to that balloon. Yep. And so yep. when, you, when you think about that, and you think about that from a writer's perspective, I think an important thing is then to start thinking about that Similar to that kind of Charlie Adler thing. Exactly. About that's, that that's, a... that's a lot of giving up power for a writer, right? Like Because um, you're going to concentrate on 
only the words and you're going to let the artist you, you're going to basically um let's say let's say i'm writing like an emotional scene mm-hmm. and i am actually going to try and do like nine panels what right. that does is that my my dialogue is probably going to take a little less space mm-hmm. and i'm going to have to make like i'm going to have to depend on my artist to nail that moment mm-hmm. right yes yeah, so and that's that, something that's yeah. scary yeah but that's well that yeah that kind of ties into that point earlier of like that the thing the one thing that you can control absolutely from, from the, is the dialogue but exactly i, 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 was, was, thinking, I was agreeing with you if you didn't, didn't okay so what well, the thing i was thinking about was like the kind of the webtoons model right mm. so in webtoons they have to they have to just really pump out like a ton of panels every week it's like yeah. quite a lot of work it's like 45 50 60 panels something like that a week mm. um and as part of that you know as a writer you've also got to think about like it's very much that budget thing. And so in, in a sense, you're, you're thinking about how you would write for sitcoms or, you know, or, or animation or something like that, where what can I, what assets can I reuse as much right. as possible? Yeah. Um, and there's, there's other things, there's, you know, that's, that's potentially one way of sort of thinking about like, how can I make a denser comic, but without killing my artist is <laughs> what can we, what can we flag for reuse? Like I think about that Wicked and Divine. That's a weird priority was... to have not killing your artist. <laughs> Well, I think about that, that you know, there's that Wicked Divine issue, right? Where they did like mm. the remix issue. Uh, remix issue. Yep, yep. Yeah, and, and there is like, you, there's, there is a part of me that thinks like they could have done that issue without making the big point about how it was a remix. Hmm. And there's probably enough content after you've drawn like 10 issues of anything. Yeah. Uh, to, <laughs> to save you like three or four pages a month. See, of, I, that, of, like, it's a funny conversation thing. I didn't dialogue. even realize that that, that, was the, that was a remix issue till like kind of. <laughs> so I, I read, I think, like the first 20 or so issues, and then I kind of uh, read all of Kieran's writer's commentaries. Right. And that was when I realized that, hang on, that, that was a remix issue. I didn't even yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think I think there is there is an, an element of being able to think from a from a writer's perspective of of, of stuff like that. Like you know, if 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 you've got a scene, because I'm thinking about Pluto again, and, and a lot of the dialogue scenes in Pluto are about mm. the same length as the scenes that you would find in comics in terms of page count. Right. So yeah. because I think he was doing like twenty page installments himself. It was yeah. They were they're about twenty pages. Yeah. Yeah. Twenty pages um, twice a month. I think. So you've got you've got uh, you know you've got a dialogue sequence that's what four four pages something like that which is not uh, atypical of American comics, hmm. um, but obviously because in each page you've got slightly denser panels, um, you've got a few more panels across those pages than you would normally have. But what I probably would say and I need to go through and do a, a word count, hmm. such an exciting life I lead. <laughs> but what I would say is based on the amount of dialogue in there, you probably actually got less dialogue than you yeah. would have in a four or five page sequence of American comics. But I, I, I do think that the the fact that they are chunked up a little bit more yeah. gives it a lot more impact and a specifically a lot more kind of character-focused impact because it gives you room to have a silent reaction to people that yeah. you rarely have in, in, in uh, American comics. And almost every single, well, probably every single dialogue sequence that I've read so far in three volumes of Pluto yeah. has, has at least one silent response, has at least one person asking a question and then looking at another person, either thinking about that question or not answering that question. Yeah. And that single moment is so powerful. And I've missed it from a lot of American comics that I've also been reading lately. Yeah, I, th- uh, I think I miss, so many of my favorite uh, moments in Pluto are just silent. Yeah. And they're usually at the end wonderful. of a conversation. Yeah. Right. And it's and you can only you can only really have that because you're because of the way that you're chunking up and pacing that dialogue because mm. that it, it doesn't it doesn't fit as naturally in the rhythm if you've got a panel which has you know two back and forths and then silence, it doesn't yeah. quite have the the structure and the rhythm that you can generate by having each 
each moment be its own panel. Right, um, right. And so I just, I, I think if you were to think about, well, you know what, I'm going to have this one character do a menacing face at least in four or five of these issues. So, you know, I, issue four, I'm calling back to, remember that menacing face you drew in issue two, page four, panel three, or whatever. Let's just bring that one back in. And then, you know, Actually, in two yeah, pages that's, time. That's interesting. That's a, that's an inter- that would be an interesting mode of writing. It's very much in the asset of in the in the in the frame of kind of uh, animation animation writing or whatever way. Yeah, you know, yeah. What assets can we reuse to, so that we're not with the animators on dying every every day? Right. No, I think I think that would be really cool. Like especially on a character focused comic, you're kind of thinking about, um, like most of the time your composition is not really going to be for um, design, but for like impact, mm-hmm. like emotional mm-hmm. impact. So it wouldn't necessarily be a problem if you just reused a different comp like some from somewhere else mm-hmm. and just sort of ins- you know comped it in and you could especially like, especially if it was like a nine panel grid you know you can yeah. just you just at some point you just need a folder of assets <laughs> you can do you can do a create your own comic just pull the panels down as you need right 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 yeah i think i think that would be quite interesting but uh, oh. although i think um I, I don't know if those tend to be the priorities of Western comics writers who write for other people, mm-hmm. because I don't know if most of the mainstream comics you'll read are actually that character focused. Like, yeah, look at the that, Divine yeah, Wands. No. So I think yeah, that's yeah. definitely something uh, that was important there. But like a lot of things are more about the action or more about the plot. But do we is do you think this is too broad a question for you to answer? <laughs> so I, I'm I'm going to apologize for asking you it. But do you think that the conventions that we've adopted, hmm. the sort of broader storytelling conventions that we've adopted, which I think are are in part part because of the way that we work, but also in part because yeah. of the more Western style of storytelling that we have. But do you think that the conventions therefore end up dictating the kinds of stories that we that we see because it dictates the kind of story you can do? Uh, you can do well in comics. I think absolutely, because um, there's a reason that um, indie comics in English have a Mm -hmm. lot more character-focused stories and stuff because they were developed by writer-artists who were trying to Mm -hmm. express something like, um, you know, through the artwork itself, while um, the writing and drawing convention that exists in superhero comics was developed with um, horror comics and, like, you know genre comics like mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. like they were much more adventure stories mm-hmm. so they were not really like even if you read like like 50 issues of superman were never about what superman is going through as a person <laughs> right. right yeah um and i think that's the difference like on the other hand underground comics and like the black and white comics that came after that are mm-hmm. entirely about human experience and personal experience so it's definitely a convention that's developed to express something. Mm-hmm. Um, and like manga has that advantage where it kind of flowered in multiple directions at once. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, like um, I have a friend here who goes to, uh, who used to go to Comiket, which is like a small manga convention in Japan, uh, like an mm-hmm. indie manga convention. Uh, right. It's not actually small. It's quite huge. Um, so he told me about like, the best thing about manga was always that you would have a housewife who's spending like most of a year just working. She's just mm-hmm. going to make like one manga or like the last three months of the year. And then she's going to mm-hmm. bring it to comic it and sell it. Right. And it's probably about her life or something. It's probably mm-hmm. not that well drawn, but it's a story. Like it's right. 
what what manga i think always remembers is that it's storytelling through images yeah and the images are like the images are a part of the writing mm-hmm. like they're not mm-hmm. the words obviously but they're a part of the writing yeah i think which is that is actually why like the storyboard of a, a manga is called a name um and that's something that we don't necessarily have like we are not always thinking about storytelling through like through the images all the time like mm-hmm. the storytelling mm-hmm. is what the writer does and then the artist draws it is how we sort of <laughs> right. think about it uh wait too There's, much time i think i think it, it on a it's um sort of almost amazed that it's taken us like an hour to get to that point because that is I've, I've, I've written that down as a note very early on before we like uh when i was thinking of ideas for this episode um and i cannot believe i didn't get to this sooner but on the other point the other point because it's because it's the, it's the ultimate point really um but the other the other thing i was going to say was that the i think I, I, to defend because i feel like I've, i'm spending a lot of this episode railing on writing conventions and writers but what we you writers do find themselves in a particularly difficult spot hmm. in in american comics i think in monthly comics because it's a it's an incredibly hard sell just uh, without even talking about what's inside the contents of the comic book you know four dollars for 20 pages is is a super hard sell right even yeah. to, even to a big fan and so i there is a there is a necessity and a need to try and write in a way which adds uh which adds a sort of a, a level of depth um and and also time and therefore sort of equating uh which is not necessarily the best equation but in many ways it, it makes sense equating time uh as value hmm. um but that, but i do think that that because of that it can it forces the hand in a certain way but it also i coming back to your point i think that is something that we you have less control over because um, it comes back to that point was also we talked about earlier about like writer artists kind of giving themselves more panels and, and, and more uh, visuals hmm. you because at that point you're, you're very much writing when you're doing your layouts you're like writing with the with the visuals as much as you are writing with the words and you can write as a writer artist you can have a panel of someone just looking and to you you understand that that thing is you are writing a lot in that panel even if it may not be it may not have any specific like actual text in it you're writing a reaction you're writing a character point or whatever it's much it's much harder as a writer to to you know to kind of do that because you don't really have that ultimate final control yeah no i th- i think this is something that like um i have like i've had these arguments with a lot of people who ask me like i mean they, they, we kind of talk about whether comics are more like film or they're more like literature mm-hmm. i personally think that comics are a lot more like literature because i see it all as writing like right, i see okay. it all as just storytelling it's just storytelling mm-hmm. manifesting in different ways mm-hmm. right and that's something that that's something that where like even when you think about the background thing it's also that like where um as a writer you wouldn't necessarily look at more is more right like sometimes less is more sometimes mm-hmm. you need to pare something down and the same way as an artist sometimes you'll need to pare something down something sometimes mm-hmm. you need to kind of like the focus needs to be on the face and nothing else right and the thing is that is also writing like that is <laughs> right. it's, it's all really writing right like sure. your designs your character designs your page designs your backgrounds they are all writing it mm. we are all contributing to that if if you look at it as like comics or literature basically obviously yeah. 
if you disagree with that then maybe i don't know all everything is directing <laughs> i don't know uh, <laughs> i think but, no, I, I do think it's the same for the like i mean it's the same ultimate point you know costume design in film is is storytelling you know cinematography is storytelling exactly it's, it's, exactly it's also, yeah, yeah yeah i mean it's not always it's not always there to be on the page like this is something that this is something like darcy van polgeest and i talk about quite a lot because mm-hmm. uh, he has this habit of like he 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 talks about like okay for one notebook of script i have around six notebooks of just details stuff yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah stuff yeah. yeah yeah and i write the same way right like for i think i i i've like written three issues of a series and mm-hmm. the total number of like pages on that script the script pages are like 90 pages but right. i've writ i've filled like two notebooks already mm-hmm. and all of it is just like things that would get me to put in those details and it's all yep. storytelling it's just all like the back story is also storytelling like it's all mm-hmm. um i just read this book um, habitat by simon roy right yeah and it's like 90 95 pages or something like that Yeah. And the thing is the story itself is fairly I wouldn't even call it slight it's just it's fairly straightforward right but the thing is the images are constantly telling you about the past of that place about mm-hmm. the present of that place about why characters would make certain decisions mm-hmm. about what their future holds for them and it's all in the artwork as as you said that i was just before you said habitat i was literally about to start i was like in my head i was like i would i'm going to bring up uh, simon roy i was talking about <laughs> i was thinking about protector or first knife as it's now obviously right, it's been yeah. retitled but i was thinking about that it's the same thing like the like there is so much in the background of those and artem traknov as well mm, and daniel yeah. benson there is so much in the background of those images uh in the world that that those three sort of shaped yeah. uh that is and it's not in it's not in the it's not in the story it's not in the mm. dialogue but it's you can see the the layers of the world yeah. when you just as you just move through the story like in the character designs in the costume in the in the sort of slight language in the language changes like the the yankee tribe is y a n q u i but it's obviously you know mm. yankees new yeah, york yeah. um you see all these little bits and pieces and there's never a moment where there's just people two people have a conversation about it but it's just it's just the background of the you know the background of the world and all that yeah. stuff is done uh all that stuff is done yeah it's just done in 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 the occasional background because Artem doesn't draw like a ton of backgrounds hmm. but there'll be a big panel there'll yeah. be a big panel and you'll see a world in that panel and then you'll kind of go into the you know you'll go into the story with the characters that are, are in the foreground of that panel but that background world still exists and i think that's a, that's also a, a point uh, about backdrops is and i'm not going to tell anyone that they should or shouldn't draw backgrounds uh, entirely depends no, of course on not i, I don't think i don't think prescriptivist attitudes are really good about like comics because comics is a medium that we haven't yet figured out like comics is something <laughs> right, that's sure. still very much up in the air like i i i mean film is essentially kind of like a solved problem like of course you can still make <laughs> new things in film but right. it's all going to be like a rectangular box image <laughs> right beyond that like everything else is you can kind of continue doing that but like comics i don't think we've settled on a form yet oh for sure like, at yeah, all yeah, like yeah. We, yeah, there's no yeah. real like we don't know what else comics can be yet 
<laughs> so I don't. I would not like to be prescriptivist and say that you should draw fewer backgrounds or anything. Well, what what I was going to say about the background thing is that you the the thing that I think the Protector kind of does or First Knife does does fun work or uh, you know uh, Artium style I suppose it, it does fun is that once you've got you've got like a typically a larger panel uh, a larger that has the background and that sort of sets the scene. So yeah. similar to what you're talking about with like you know animation or friends or whatever you got an outs- an mm. exterior shot and then you get into the the scene and the background doesn't really matter at that point. Yeah. Um, but the background still always exists, and this mm. is the the thing that that when you think of like a sitcom, you think of Sein, like Seinfeld or Friends or whatever, yeah. and they're in the apartment, and the apartment stops having a value at a certain point. Yeah. Like once they're in the apartment, the 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 actual apartment itself typically contains typically has no has no uh, storytelling value. storytelling value at a certain point. However, it is it's always still there, and that's the thing with comics as well. That's the background is still there. That hmm. first panel of that page that sets up this kind of intricately drawn background and then kind of dis- you know dissipates over the rest of the panels, still there. Yeah. The background is that that image is still sat on top of the other panels and giving you a frame of reference for everything else that comes below. Hmm, that's that's a very um, good point. Yeah, like the, like the literal image is still there on the page. Yeah, and and how much do you go back and forth when you're reading stuff? You know, how much do you do you, really, you, you read a depends depend on the book. Well, as I say, okay, so you, you might read a bit and you might scan back a panel or whatever. You might look at, mm. you know, someone might draw attention to something that was said and you have a look at it. Oh, yeah. And comics exist in that, right, yeah. So comics exist in that way where, like, everything always exists. Yeah. And so yeah. the ba- whatever you drew at one moment mm. always exists so essentially you until you reset it. it. It's, it's, like, yeah. it's like the Grand Morrison thing where it's a four-dimensional object. Like, time exists. <laughs> so, right, for sure. Yeah. So you can, you can just turn back and, like, if you miss something you can just look back on page one and figure it out. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think that's, that's like interesting because um, Terry Gilliam once said about, said how like he could never adapt Watchmen to film because Watchmen depended so much on the static image, Mm -hmm. which you can then pour over. Um, Although this is the person who made Brazil where you do have like a lot of background elements (laughs) in the film that you can just keep looking at, but also see, that's the thing where, like that kind of ties into what you're saying like because it's there it's static and it can be looked over you mm-hmm. can just go back and look it over like you don't right. have to have it in every panel mm-hmm. right it still exists yeah. yeah exactly so coming back to like what we were talking about like how an artist's time needs to be used on the page like per page mm-hmm. you should avoid repetitive tasks basically (laughs) right right like you should sometimes they have value like now like when i'm when i'm hand lettering something i am technically doing a repetitive task right Mm -hmm. and sometimes that has value some in some (laughs) books yes that actually like really adds something but in other books i could have just done done it digitally like the only Mm -hmm. like the only reason that i wouldn't do it was that digital didn't exist at the time or something like that Right, but like right. there are certain books where you don't know they they look just fine in digital. Mm-hmm. So similarly, there are images for which you need that kind of texture. Like Watchmen, I would say, absolutely needs that background detail. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But it's there because Dave Gibbons had an architectural eye to his artwork. Yeah. If you had Steve Dillon drawing Watchmen, you can bet your ass Watchmen would look very different. <laughs> Because sure. it would not have all those things. Mm-hmm. Right. It's because it was the artist's priority. Yeah. And then more obviously wrote to that. Yeah. Um, 
And on the other hand, you have something like From Hell, where Moore is doing the same thing, but the book looks very different because it's a different artist drawing. Mm-hmm. Right, like Moore is putting all of that detail in, and Eddie Campbell is just like, uh, I'm not drawing that. Yeah. <laughs> well, this like to, I'm trying to think of a way. How do we solve this? And I think like your point, this that point just then, uh, combined with your point earlier about about you know the visuals also being writing. I think are the are mm. two key ones for me is that's because I'm a very smart y- person. Of course. Well, <laughs> the value the value comes in in what is the value of each thing that you're drawing. So yeah. that Gandhier point, right? Like, does this line have narrative value still, or is this yeah. just is this just just for me? Yeah. And the the Watchmen example of the background absolutely has narrative value. Like the backgrounds in Watchmen do so much narrative and character work. Hmm. And for From Hell, you know that comic works as it as as it does incredibly well without that. And so, yeah. at a certain point, you know, Campbell's presumably making that assessment that there is no value in this now beyond beyond this sort of atmospheric scribble or whatever. There isn't. There is no value. Yeah, like because, because all the all the 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 genuine the background that you need to see, he's put that mm-hmm. on a previous page or on the next yeah. page somewhere. It's mm-hmm. there, but it only needs to be there once. Um, yeah. Something like um, the the final image of the wicked and the divine. Right. Is um, spoiler alert, like is um, this one's old face, right? Like, um, actually, no, that's not the final image. The final image is the second last issue, right? The final image is the is it the funeral? This is a great question because I yeah, have but, but there's there's here. one image where you suddenly see Laura old. Oh yeah 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 yeah. I yeah, think yeah. that's the final yeah. image of the second to last chapter. Yeah. Right. And the thing is that 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 Im- that page has incredible amount of detail, and you it's there to be looked at. It's there to be poured over. It's there to mm-hmm. act as a surprise. You don't move on to, from that image. You look at mm-hmm. that image and you digest that image, right? Which is why it has a lot more detail than most of the other images in that issue, mm-hmm. right? Like the like it's it's just an image of a face, but it it it, <laughs> it has the detail of a cover. Right, because yeah, yeah, it needs yeah. to be looked at. It needs you need to stay there for like at least a minute, right? Mm-hmm. And that's because that was a decision, right? Like Jamie realized, uh, and like probably Kieran and Matt as well, they realized that okay, no, this image needs to be stopped at. And the thing is, if every image before that had the same amount of detail, that would not have that impact. Mm-hmm. Right, like mm-hmm. so, mm-hmm. if every image in that issue was overdrawn, you wouldn't wouldn't want to stop at that particular image. Right. And there are certain artists um, that I do kind of tend to bounce off because they do put that kind of detail in every single panel, and at some point of time, I'm not feeling it. I'm not really feeling the story in it. Mm-hmm. It's just mm-hmm. images. On the right. other hand, somebody like Tradmore, who is famous for putting a lot of detail into every image. He will. He doesn't have extraneous detail actually. Like he doesn't actually, like. He he is very clever about the detail that he puts in. A lot of his stuff is form, I think, as well. Yeah. There's a lot of form and shape in in trad yeah, stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. yeah. So yeah, it's it's a very yeah it's. It's something. It's it's a part of the storytelling, and it needs to be considered. You can't mm. just say that more background is better. <laughs> yeah, and and vice versa as well. Yeah, I suppose so. But uh, but I think, uh, like I think the the where the I argument, the I argument is easier for less backgrounds. I would say though. Yeah, and I think I think it would make, 
I think it would make it easier for people to make more comics of the kind that they want to mm-hmm. if they stopped mm-hmm. worrying so much about background. Well, I think that the, so this this comes down to the conventions thing. So this is where so to answer this idea of the con, like what is the value of of a con, of sort of standard tropes and conventions we we kind of see have seen adopted especially in you know we're talking very much like mainstream direct market corporate yeah. kind of comics. Um a big part of that is, as we've said, is this this kind of element of control and not knowing who you're going to be working with. Hmm. And uh, uh, cr- as much as you can control the actual visuals, you know, we've all seen scripts and then we've seen the artwork and we know that often those things don't really line up. And the yeah. thing that you can control, or they do line up, but it's not, you know, it's it's a less defined quantity than writing Also, a, a like caption. a lot of the time it's not happening in the script. It's happening over the phone or somewhere else. Right. Right, and so the so the thing that you can control, and therefore that becomes it becomes a lot harder. I I think I would maybe argue that it's harder for a writer to control pacing compared to an artist when they're actually getting down to a page. It's you know it's much more mm, difficult mm. as a writer to control that pacing, yeah. unless you've got a very strict grid. But even then, you know you don't you don't have the final control over what that image is actually going to be rendered like. Right. Yeah. So so the conventions exist as a almost almost as a way to kind of safely control and write hmm. uh, comics within a fixed structure where they need to be out every month and they have deadlines and yeah. things like that yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but that is by think, default a limitation is it of course of course and so i think what what i think the conventions work for is situations like that where you're you're writing with all, what would almost feel like less control hmm. um and so you can use the conventions to own a bit of control over certain things yeah. uh but i also think that when you start to look at comics that exist slightly outside of that system and therefore start to try and maybe break a few more of those conventions yeah that yeah. for me that's when you start to see the particularly interesting hmm. um interesting sort of uh, approaches and dynamics of comics definitely and i think also moving outside that convention actually i think lets you express more mm-hmm. because it it allows you to make more choices Right. Like, I mean, uh, I'm just saying like limitation in a different, in different words, but <laughs> right, no. it's that like, if you don't have that particular convention, then you can do weirder stuff yeah. and you can, you can come at it from a different angle. Yeah. Right. Like, um, like there's a lot of reasons that, again, I'm going to come back to blue and green because it's like, uh, it's, it's going to be my week like this. Week, <laughs> uh, but what, what I love, like, a lot of people have looked at that book and sort of they look at it and say like, okay, I don't think this looks like anything else. Right. And I think the reason, one of the reasons for that is that it's it's using the comics medium slightly differently than most other comics by doing this particular thing. Like when it has a background, it has the most opulent, most detailed, most beautifully drawn background. Right. But the rest of the time it's just scribbles. Okay. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you'll you'll see a figure from close up, and again they're exquisitely detailed. And another time it's literally just a bunch of lines, mm-hmm. right? And it mm-hmm. and it lets itself move through all of that mm-hmm. at any time it wants. Like it is not restricted by one particular style of drawing, right? Right. So, and then a lot of the storytelling work is also being done in the color, mm-hmm. because when you sort of uh, let's say I'm only going to draw like this character as a silhouette from very far away, very vague. Then mm-hmm. I have to kind of 
um, then what I'm trying to do through that panel needs to come through maybe through the color or maybe through the writing. Yeah, yeah. Or maybe it maybe the point is the like the that particular comp- composition, but so like you're constantly leaving the space for different things to do their job. Yeah. Right. So yeah, yeah. different things will have different solutions at different times, and I think the more range you allow your art to have in a particular mm-hmm. piece, mm-hmm. less conven- like the conventions start mattering less. Right. Like mm-hmm. as a letterer in blue and green, I feel I can make order choices and have them integrated into the world of the story because the world of the story itself encompasses a lot of different things right in its its construction Mm -hmm. right Mm -hmm. and i think if you sort of move beyond like certain limits of naturalist depiction or like virtuosic drawings and all of those things Mm -hmm. you will come up with different solutions for the same problems this is this comes back to this is not really convention uh aspect but i this always comes back to the thing that I love about comics, which is something that I feel like I maybe talk too much about, like especially on Strip Power Naked, <laughs> is that the comics, because comics, comics themselves are like, the very nature of them is, is artifice. Yeah. And this is the big the big thing for me as a visual medium. Reproduction is compa- not that important. Exactly. Compared to film, it's like the moment you open a comic book, you know it's not real. And yeah. so the to trying to, to so to no matter how realistically you depict that like even if you use literal photos of actual people yeah. it will not it will not make a reader believe that that's a real person who exists right uh, like in a real physical world whereas you can sit down and you can watch like a even an unbelievable film right you can sit down and watch like a marvel movie hmm. uh, and yet what you're still seeing is real real movement from real people on a real on like a screen right there's yeah. the, the there is a, a physicality and a reality to that that you will just that you just ultimately cannot get in comics not to say that comics are not uh are not like do not have like a genuine emotion attached to them and, and do not generate like a reality to a reader but it's not it's, it's not the same kind of reality as actually like seeing it's by a, physical... default a constructed reality it's a constru- exactly uh, like, I, right. I think i wrote about this uh in my essay for panel x panel number one like way mm-hmm. back in the stone age um, <laughs> where it's like a co- a comic page is always being constructed in the person's head. Like there is always mm-hmm. the artifice is always in front of you. Yeah, and, and I, but but yeah. part part of that is a part of that is 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 an incredible value that other mediums don't have in the same way because at that at a certain point you are building the story and as a reader as well, like you own that story in a way that you can't own a film. Yeah. Um. But the but the, but it also means that the artifice just is naturally there, and so you can you can do whatever you want hmm. and still have a deep emotional reaction from a reader. You can, you can have a style drawn, you know, like a hyper cartoon Disney style or whatever, yeah. and you'll still have an emotional resonance from a reader. And you can have a, a you know, like Marvel's, like an Alex Ross, like, you know, really kind of detailed, the sort of watercolor thing and also have that emotional reaction. It doesn't, the style is so wide that it does yeah. not have to be realism for it to, 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 to connect. Absolutely, absolutely. And I think, uh, yeah, I think it's time to kind of diversify from that kind of realism. I think it's happening. Uh, mm-hmm. but, but I think we still do have, like, because because a lot of superhero comics lend themselves to, like, comparatively photorealistic drawing, mm-hmm. we do have this idea that more detail or more realism is better. Right, and I yeah. don't think that's really the case. That, this is this is a I think we're, we're like way off topic, but this is really interesting. Uh, no, but I think it the, all ties up, like because because the way you approach a page and the time it's going to take you to do that page is 
intimately tied up with what you're trying to accomplish with that piece. That's true. That's true. Well, I was going to say that. I was going to say that. I think the, there's a big part of that comes from, like, like what you were saying earlier, which is like, as readers, what do you value as well? Hmm. And yeah. what I think a big part of that is that we 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 attribute, especially you know, when you're younger and you do a drawing, you attribute the how good that drawing is as to how close to reality that thing is yeah, yeah. um and and i think because we aren't we, you know typically especially as western audiences we aren't really ever trained to read visuals in any in any deeper way in any way near the level we're trained to read uh words hmm. um that it, it's very difficult which is you know you see yeah, a lot of comic reviewers we, talk about it as yeah, well yeah yeah and and so you don't it's it's difficult to move away from the idea that like mm. a good drawing is a realistic depiction of the thing that is trying to depict. Right, right. And so that's what I think that's where we get that value from. Yeah, it's, I think I think yeah, um, it's it's, a, it's an odd thing. Like this is completely a tangent, but uh, <laughs> before I started reading comics as an adult, I thought one of the weirdest things that I'd heard and one of the most like strange innovative things that I'd heard mm-hmm. was the fact that Art Spiegelman used like actual animal sort of like you know mouse heads and cat heads and stuff in right. mouse yeah and the thing is the moment i actually entered comics and i got started reading more that just stopped seeming weird at all <laughs> right yeah because that's such a like from if if you if you don't have visual literacy that's a very weird and innovative thing for somebody to be doing mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but once you sort of start having those things, you realize, wait, that's just a fairly like simple choice. Yeah. yeah. Right. And mm-hmm. I think that's the thing where like as readers, I think a lot of people are still limited by what they see as good artwork. Right. And yeah. I think too many artists let that limit them mm-hmm. perhaps. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but I'll also, uh, like, I always see that like almost any artist who, goes through like a personal revolution at some point of time. Like mm-hmm. they used to draw in one style and now they've completely moved away from that and they're drawing in a different style. Most of the time you'll see a move away from realism. <laughs> right, yeah. That, because because it's somebody sure, yeah. like questioning their priorities and kind of realizing that, wait, I don't have to do that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's that's like a, yeah. So artists draw faster, please. <laughs> That's the solution. We've solved, we've solved the convention thing. This was a, this was an interesting one for me, which is I think why we gave it so much time was that it, in much less so than previous topics, it was more just a, a, a space for us to have this conversation. As yeah, it, it was just something to, to explore. Answer. I don't, I don't think yeah. there's an opinion to be had on this really. Yeah, it's this. Is, yeah, the, the, the yeah, the really much less so than what we previously talked about. There is less of a we're reaching less of a conclusion, which is. Um, uh, difficult for me to then wrap up into an ending, but yeah, but this time you don't have a segue to do so. Like that's uh, well, what I wanted to, I wanted to surprise you with something. Um, <laughs> oh, so one of my one of it's, it's not that good a surprise. Uh, a podcast that I used to listen to like religiously uh, always ended with um, things that made them happy. This the you know the past week, hmm. and I was thinking about that the other day in a world of uh, you know never-ending terrible uh news um and so i thought oh maybe maybe we'll use it ongoing who knows but at least for this i thought it might be nice um to wrap up this episode with a thing that's been making you happy the past week now i know (laughs) i've sprung this on you so (laughs) i'm gonna lead i'm gonna lead with mine and then that gives you a little a a couple of minutes to think of something that has made you happy this week if after a couple of minutes you can't think of anything it's going to be a real bummer of an episode. 
so try <laughs> see what you see what you can get um but as, what has made me happy this week and i have spent a lot of time uh talking about it already in this episode but i uh i i i cannot remember why but i was browsing comicsology and i was looking for something just to kind of sink my teeth into hmm. Uh, so I was looking for something a little bit longer and I really wanted like a good detective story. Hmm. And so I was Googling for detective story, and, I, and a bunch of the recommendations of like real good detective comics I'd, I've already read. So the, the top, the top like 10 things that constantly came up, I'd already read. So I was like, I need to, I don't, you know, I don't read that much manga. So I'll see if there's a good detective manga because manga hmm. covers like every single genre yeah. and uh, uh, detective Conan or case closed came up. Right. And this is a thing that's like it's, it's like one of the most popular manga in 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 I, Japan. I did mean to ask: Is it Conan the Barbarian trying to solve cases, or is this somebody named Conan? No, it's so the the Japanese title of it is Detective Conan. But there's some there was some kind of light license rights, which may be to do with Conan. Right. Um, but it's nothing to do with him. It's just the name, and so they changed it to Case Closed. So if you look for it in in on like the English comicsology, it's called Case Closed. And there is like 75 volumes of this book. It's still going on. <laughs> uh, it's been drawn for, it's been made, it's like 20 years. I think it was like 1995 or something. It's oh, been going on for like 25 years. Right. And so I, I, I bought the first volume because it was, it was a little bit, it was like on a fiver, uh, you know, 200 pages. So I was like, I'm gonna, I'll have a read of this. And I started reading it and then, I, and then like an hour later, I looked up at the world and I finished it. And I was like, this is stupendous. It's a wonderful, wonderful story of, this uh he's like a teenager i think he's like 16 or 17 or something like that and he's like he's like japan's greatest detective um <laughs> of course and he uh goes on a, goes to like the fairground with uh, this girl that he really likes he's liked since he was a kid and something happens there's like a murder and he has to solve it and then he gets attacked by uh some mysterious figure mm-hmm. and they try and poison him with and it's such an incredible line of dialogue where there's, it's like he's getting poisoned by this by this mysterious figure, and you can just hear this mysterious figure say like, you know, it's this poison we got from the lab, but we've never tested it on people before. And I was like, well, this is going to be great. And and then uh, the, then this kid is found like a, like a you know an hour later or whatever by a policeman like waking him up, and he has the poison has this, this experimental poison has shrunk him down, and he's now he's he's like reverted back to being like six years old, hmm. um, but he's got the brain of his seventeen year old, you know greatest detective brain but he's <laughs> he's now like a seven-year-old boy and he can't tell anyone who he is because then the criminals will come after him if they know he's still alive uh, and but he's still and then he's got a work he's got so he lives he moves in with this girl that he liked that we went on the to the fairground with and yeah. her like alcoholic like deadbeat detective dad <laughs> and he's basically got to like go on these detective cases with this deadbeat detective dad and just help him solve the case but without revealing who he truly is and it's uh, honestly it's the it's the best i've had so much i had so much fun reading that first volume uh so yeah, that and that made me unbelievably happy yeah so that's my one have you had what, what has made you happy this week um I, it's, it's got to be something i've already mentioned which is habitat by simon roy right but okay wait let, let me come up with something else then um <laughs> there's a comic called ptsd by somebody called guillaume Singelin or something. I, I'm, I'm, I'm sure I'm like mangling their name. We'll get a link and we'll put a link. But in the, yeah, I think the they're a French artist, right? And, um, like it's about a soldier. Like actually, not just one soldier, but like it's about a, a bunch of veterans who've returned from a war, and mm. they're kind of shunned by society, 
mm-hmm. and then it's about one of the one one veteran kind of acting out because of her PTSD mm-hmm. and it's about her sort of integrating back into society and the writing is a little simple like i think the dialogue is a little could use some work uh, also it's a translation i could be a translation i'm not entirely sure because the artist is french but right. the artwork itself and the visual storytelling it's just brilliant i think like the world building and the details they've put into it like that's one of those books with where i feel like without the backgrounds and without that level of detail you would not have that full a world mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and the colors are just magnificent like there are so many panels which is just warm and fuzzy and like just make you feel good also like a bunch of panels which make you feel sad and stuff but right. it's 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 a very complete experience of a book and right. i would definitely recommend that or habitat like either they're both brilliant mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah so that nice. that's probably nice. my like one thing that made me happy this week isn't it nice to say to talk about things that you've enjoyed <laughs> yes <laughs> um well we we've we've nailed another uh topic of of comics we fixed comics again this this month this week as usual um, welcome world we uh are gonna do it we're gonna have another episode this is this episode is, is coming out seven days after the previous episode which is a, a minor miracle yep and in theory we will yep. have another episode for you in seven days from now as well yep yep we we and we we sort of realized that maybe if we do like one topic this time we could actually do another topic next week yeah and we 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 probably will yep uh and then we've also got uh so this is episode 5 of yeah. season 2 yeah 5 correct so we're we're at the halfway point hmm. uh we've got another couple of interviews at least that we're also going to do with yeah. other letterers that we're going to bring onto the show um and then also just more of us uh pontificating for an hour and a half yeah coming coming soon yeah coming soon do you know what i thought about this is that mm. i always wrap this episode this podcast up by saying you can find this podcast at all the usual places you can find podcasts mm. however if you've made it this far into the episode i assume you've already found the podcast and <laughs> um, so you know you know where to find it i will say that some people said they didn't realize that we're on spotify so if you made it this far and you're not listening on spotify listen on spotify right i said yeah you should, you should maybe name all the places that we are so Okay, we're on Spotify, we're on Apple Podcasts, we're on SoundCloud. See, I, 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 I use Pocket Casts and we're definitely on that. I think it just pulls Apple's, Apple's database. We're on, all the, we're on all those places uh, and also Spotify, if you didn't know that. Yeah, um, you, can, <laughs> <laughs> you can keep up to date with me on Twitter at Aditya B and at my website, AdityaB.net. And I'm on Twitter at Hasanawi and you can check out Strip Panel Naked on YouTube and the magazine at PanelXPanel.com. Um, also, I, sh- I should add, like, if you have any questions for us that you'd like us to discuss, you can just tweet tweet at us and we'll probably tackle them in the next episode. Um, other than that, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.